Today we spend another minute or two talking about pastors. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for listening to Preach Impediments, made possible by Eden Hollow. Check out what's being written and made available by going to EdenHollow.com. If you stayed tuned, at the end of the episode, we have a special offering for you that you'll want to hear about, so make sure you listen to the end of today's episode. Let's jump right in. Several years ago, when my family and I lived in Florida, we had decided to take a day trip, and as a preacher with limited money and resources, we often look for those free trips we could take or something we could go to for free. And luckily in Florida, there's a lot of those kind of day trips you can take. One that I would encourage you to take if you live in that area or next time you're down visiting in Orlando is to go see the Wycliffe Bible Translation Service. There, you don't get to tour the actual Bible Translation Building, but they have a discovery center called the Word Spring Discovery Center next door. And it is there where you can take a family and you can learn all about what the Wycliffe Bible Translation Service does, the need for the Bible in certain languages, and you get exposed to some really interesting translations of the Bible, even ones that aren't written but are made entirely of sounds, uh, not just words that we would recognize, but clicks and whistles, because that's what's needed for certain languages in certain parts of the world. It is amazing what the Wycliffe Bible Translation Service has been able to accomplish in the years that it has done its work. There at the WordSpring Discovery Center, we were privileged to be able to listen to one of the missionaries that goes into these parts of the world, learns their languages, and then translates the Bible into those languages. And in listening to this one particular Bible translator, she revealed that one of the ways in which they translate the Bible to make it understandable for the people that they are translating for is that they will sometimes change the concepts of the Bible to match the culture that they're translating it into. Here's what I mean. In the example that she gave, she said that if they go into a country where there is not sheep as a part of their agriculture, but instead they have fields of cows, they will translate Psalm 23 into, the Lord is my cowboy. Well, I think I had to pick my jaw up off the floor when she said this, because I immediately thought of just how many lessons are lost when you do that. There are so many lessons I have learned over the years regarding the nature of sheep, and the work of shepherds, and how shepherds do their work, and how that relates to the way that shepherds are to guide churches or pastors in the context of today's podcast. I thought about the fact that the leadership styles are different. 
and the nature of the animals are different. And the way you get them from one place to another is different. And the way you handle those animals are different. And the purpose for handling those animals are different. And in doing that, it made me, for one, want to go and learn Greek and Hebrew, which I have done a little bit of, but certainly not enough. The other, it made me wonder, are there other ways in which we have lost lessons because we don't properly understand the words that are used? And that was one of my motivations for starting the Preach Impediments podcast in the first place. Well, listen to some of the lessons that we have here between shepherd and cowboys. First of all, we're told in scripture that shepherds love their sheep. I I will certainly say, having known a few cowboys in my life, that they have an appreciation for their herd. But you don't often hear cowboys talk about their love for an individual cow. Honestly, most of the time, cowboys are raising their animals for the sake of slaughter. That's their job. Cows are raised for meat. Sheep are typically raised for wool. And so your job is to keep a sheep as healthy as possible, whereas your job with a cow is to get it as big and fat as possible. And so cows are often led to the slaughter. Sheep are led to be shorn. Cowboys want the meat, whereas shepherds want the wool. And so these animals are treated differently because their purpose is different. Anybody who has watched the old western or who lived in parts of our country where there are a lot of cows, which Florida is actually one of those places. You find that cowboys tend to wrestle, and they brand their cows, and they, have, uh, they, they herd them into fenced-in areas, and they wrap ropes around their necks and lead them or pull them with their, with their horses and those types of things. You know, very often, the actual handling of the cow is kind of rough. Uh, they, I've, I've watched before, them have to give cows their shots, their medicine. And so they will drive this cow between these, these narrowing pieces of fence so that the cows are kind of locked in. And then they have this wrench or this pulley uh, where they grab this bar and yank it down and it takes the fence and like squeezes that cow uh, in order to keep the cow still so that they can stick this big long needle in the cow and give it its medicine. Now they're taking care of the cow. They're doing the job that they're supposed to do to keep the cows healthy. But you don't see typically that kind of treatment with shepherds and sheep. Shepherds tend to lead their sheep. They guide them. They create a relationship where the sheep will want to follow the shepherd. And they will guide that shepherd to new pastures. They will make sure that the sheep has enough to eat. They will, even in the old days, anoint the shepherd because they don't want the flies and the other irritants to bother the sheep and the sheep to end up doing something stupid to try to get away from the, from the bugs or the insect. You know, cowboys tend to know the names of the other cowboys. But they don't tend to name the cows, whereas a shepherd knows the name of the sheep. The shepherd will grow a relationship with the sheep and will raise the sheep and will have favorite sheep. 
You know, cowboys whoop and holler and they, they yell and they crack whips and uh, shoot off guns and make a big noise to try to get those cows to all move, to be scared and move the direction they want them to move in. They will uh, try to figure out everything they can to get those cows to move, whereas shepherds tend to call their sheep by name. About the roughest treatment that I'm aware of that shepherds will give the sheep are they will hire sheep dogs who can yip at the, at the sheep in order to get the sheep to move, or they will wrap that sheep in their legs to hold them still whenever they are sh- they're shearing the sheep and getting the wool off. Well, that's about it. Uh, a, a shepherd is a much calmer and gentle approach to herding animals. And so when you see all of these differences between cowboys and shepherds, it helps us have a better appreciation for what the role of a shepherd is and what the role of our chief shepherd is. That's what Jesus is called over in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. He is our chief shepherd. And when you hear that term applied to Jesus and you couple it together with Passages like John chapter 10, where, uh, let me read a few verses out of that chapter just to give you an idea. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it up for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech that they did not understand what he was telling them. Now, again, you you take all of these images that are given to us here by Jesus. And it is interesting to see and imagine exactly what's going on here. The way I picture this myself is that the shepherd comes into the pen and kind of walks among the sheep a little bit, um, using his voice, talking to them, telling them, and, and gaining that influence and that trust with them. And then the gatekeeper opens the gate, and the shepherd starts singing, using his voice, and the sheep follow his voice wherever he leads. As long as he's using his voice, as long as he is offering words of comfort, or maybe even some tune, well, then the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus continues in verse 7 and says, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So again, this shepherd, Jesus, is not leading us to the slaughter. He's leading us to better life. He's leading us to abundant life. Then verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, that idea of Jesus being willing to sacrifice himself for our benefit He is willing to put himself between us and harm. For instance, it mentions here a wolf. Uh, 
He is willing to put himself at risk so that we can have better life. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And so the reason he's willing to do that is because he knows us. He knows us by name. He knows our details. He knows our struggles. He knows our lives. And so he is willing to bend over backwards for our benefit. He's willing to sacrifice himself for our good. That's what a shepherd does. You don't see that when you translate it, the Lord is my cowboy. Let's relate all of this to the role of those men within the church. As Ralph mentioned, they're called a lot of things in the New Testament. You have them called elders, you have them called bishops or overseers, and you have them called shepherds or pastors. These pastors are the men who are not merely hired men who come in to do the job. They are men whom the sheep know. They are men who know the sheep. They know them by name. They know the details of their lives. They know their habits and tendencies. They know what struggles they're facing. They smell like sheep because they are constantly walking among the sheep. And I love that image right at the beginning of John chapter 10 when it describes Jesus as a shepherd coming into the pen, walking among them, calling them by name, talking to them, building trust between the sheep and the shepherd. And then when the shepherd walks through the gate, the sheep follow because they know his voice. The shepherd of a flock of God's people do the same thing. They come in to where the flock is and they walk among them and they call them by name and they know their stories and they're able to ask personal questions and build relationship and gain influence within those people. And then when that shepherd walks a particular direction, because it's the direction that the flock needs to go, the flock is willing to follow. The flock loves that shepherd so much because that shepherd first loves the flock. That sounds familiar because it's from 1 John chapter 4 describing God and Jesus, that we love him, but he first loved us. The same is true with the relationship between sheep and their pastor. We need to have pastors who not only know their flock, but are willing to sacrifice for their flock. They're willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. That's what it means to be a pastor. You know, I've spent 20 plus years at this point being an evangelist. And I've worked with five different congregations during that time. And I love the people at the different congregations that I've been a part of. And I believe they have loved me. But I tell you, that relationship that I gained with them over the course of three, four, five, six years is nothing like the relationship they should gain with their pastor who has been with them 20, 30, or 40 years. Now, I'm by no means saying that a pastor must be in a place for 20 years before he can serve it or before he can lead. But typically speaking, the relationship between pastor and flock is significantly stronger and deeper than the relationship between evangelist and congregation.
There's just something different about those roles. And that's why I believe in Scripture you have Paul who traveled around on his first missionary journey there in Acts chapter 13 and 14. But as he went back through those congregations at the end of 14, in each congregation he's put in place elders or pastors. Because Paul would come, preach, and then leave. He would come with a mission of growing the church, and then he would move on to the next city. But the pastors, they were the stable, consistent voice of wisdom. They were those who were there to guide the people and to be trusted by the people. There is a need for pastors within congregations. And that's why Paul tells Titus in Titus 1 verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. Paul wanted the people there to have pastors. He wanted them to have that role of men who would guide them with wisdom, who would lead them to spiritual food, who would oversee their behavior, oversee their work, and be willing to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the congregation because they needed men like that to take care of them. God's wisdom for his church is abundant, and we need to trust that God knows what is best for his people as we try to set these churches up in a way that pleases him and follows his guidance. I hope the things we've discussed today have been helpful to you. Maybe it's challenged you to see the role of a pastor in a different way. Maybe it's allowed you to approach the concept of God's church in a way that is challenging or maybe in a way that is makes a little more sense. All of us have seen times when God's people aren't acting like God's people and that we're not following God's direction. And when we see that, it makes us wonder why God set things up the way he did. But when you go back and see what a pastor does and how he serves God's people, it's not hard to understand exactly why God set it up the way he did. If this episode has been beneficial to you, please share it with others. Let them know what we're doing here at PreachImpediments.com. Send us reviews and Honestly, the best thing you could do for us is to interact with us. Let us know what your questions are and how we can better serve you. Until next time. We want to help you grow. And the best way we know to do that is to put good information in your hands and to help you interact with it. In order to do that, we've created the Interactive Supplement. This is a downloadable file that you can print and use as you listen to episodes of Preach Impediment. Interact with the text, interact with your own thoughts, and grow as you draw closer to Scripture and closer to God. The way to get the interactive supplement is to go to EdenHollow.com or PreachImpediment.com, and there you can sign up for our newsletter, which will have information about the interactive supplement, and we'll get that to you as soon as we can. We hope this helps you grow.